And it's actually the most powerful thing in the whole universe. In fact, it's more powerful and it's actually quicker in speed than the highest cable internet, any kind of wireless network that you know of. You know, a lot of us get frustrated nowadays if you actually have to wait a few seconds when you hit the enter button and things are loading. You know how frustrating it is when something freezes, you're trying to get something on your iPhone or whatever phone you have or, or whatever device. But there's something of communication that has existed that's quicker, faster, and more powerful than anything that's ever been created by man. In fact, it is the most powerful force in this whole universe. And your generation is being deprived of it. Your generation is missing out on the most powerful thing that can change a life. And do you know what that is? It's the spoken, living, powerful word of God. In fact, think about this for a minute with me. Before there was anything existing in heaven or on earth, and there was God as the, the, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the unity of the community of the triunity of God was existing for all eternity, and in, in that potentiality was the power to release something that could create in the most amazing ways, and yet, how did God make things? You know what he did? He just spoke. Imagine, the first recorded words of God in the Bible are, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Imagine, all God had to do, the power that was in him, just had to be released by him speaking. Now, I want you to know tonight, I've been a pastor for 13 years. God's called me from California to New Jersey to England now, where I'm preaching the word of God in a country that has greatly abandoned the truth of the scriptures. But my confidence tonight is in none of my experience in ministry. My confidence tonight is not in anything I've ever learned in the Bible, and it's not of any speaking abilities that I have. My confidence tonight is that I'm a believer that when the word of God is preached faithfully, it powerfully touches hearts in ways that nothing else in this world can. No YouTube video, no clip that you'll see on anything on the internet, nothing that you can ever hear from a friend. In fact, most of you are listening to the wrong voice most of the days during the week. You have whispers that are coming to you about things like, girls, you look ugly, you look fat. Guys, you're, you're pathetic, you're never gonna make anything of yourself, you're a loser. You don't measure up. You'll never measure up. Maybe you hear things from your parents. Some of you don't grow up in homes where you have Christ ministering faithfully in your family. But I want you to realize it's up to you to choose which voice you listen to. And the very voice of God that spoke things into existence did it simply by having the desire to take what was in his mind, what was in his heart, and to bring it into reality. The moment God speaks, something appears that was not. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word of God is living and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's a, listen, it's a discerner, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. I'm going to say some things tonight that's going to absolutely take what's on the inside of you, and it's going to turn it from the inside out. The word of God is going to cut to the heart tonight on some things in your life. And I don't even have any hesitation. I don't have any, uh, in any sense, doubt in my mind 
that when I speak some of those things tonight, that it's going to do that work, not because of what I'm able to do, but because of what the word of God is able to do. And you know, it's interesting to me because out of all the voices you can listen to in your life, if you really grab a hold of the voice of God, you'll actually know who you are. And knowing who you are will determine what you do from this day forward. I mean, if I asked you this question tonight, what's the first way of describing yourself? What do you think of? If I was to say, I'd like to introduce myself tonight. Let me tell you who I am. I could tell you that I'm a husband to my beautiful wife, Tiffany. I could tell you that I'm a father to three beautiful children, Madeline, Josiah, Jordan. I can tell you that I'm a pastor of a church called Calvary Chapel, Cambridge. I can tell you that I'm a Bible teacher. I can tell you that I'm a friend. I can tell you that, but you know what? I really know who I am. It, it, it's first of all, just grabbing my mind around what God says I am. The Bible tells me I'm a child of God. The Bible tells me that I'm an adopted son in the family of God. To as many as receive God, God gives them the right to become children of God to as many as believe in his name, John 1.12 says. The Bible tells me that I'm a priest. I'm a part of a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. The Bible tells me I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible tells me I'm the light of the world and the salt of the earth, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Tells me that I should let my light so shine as a result of that so that others will see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. I know who I am because I really believe what God says about me. And I just want to ask you a question tonight. Do you, first of all, know what God says about you? And then secondly, do you believe it? Do you believe, honestly, what God says about you? For example, do you believe that the eyes of the Lord right now are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him? As second. Chronicles 16.9 says, do you believe God's looking for you tonight to show himself strong on behalf of? Do you see yourself as a vessel that God can use? How many in this room, just, just by show of hands, have ever had the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with a friend? Just raise your hand if you have. That's a lot of hands. That's encouraging. How many of you here have had a friend share about Jesus Christ to you? Raise your hand. Just see. Okay, a little less. How many of you could say tonight, have you ever heard God speak to you? Anybody would raise your hand? Can I ask, you're in the, what's your name? Cody. Cody, Cody you, you feel like God has spoken to you? How did he do so? Uh, well, when I was in third grade, I had to make a decision whether to go to Calvary or to stay in my old school. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Praise God. I don't know if you guys heard that. Cody said he actually was praying about a decision in his life about school. He asked the Lord for direction and God gave him a dream that confirmed God's will for his life. He knew that was from the Lord and he's had peace about it and you're happy with that decision and you know it was of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for that testimony, Cody. Somebody else in the back. I saw another hand up there. Would somebody be willing to share with me how you know that God has kind of spoken to you? You could say, yeah, I believe God has spoken to me. Anyone want to share in the back? There's a handful of hands over there. Someone want to volunteer that? Don't be shy. If God has spoken to you something, share it. It's encouraging. Anyone else in the back? You want to share over here? Go ahead. I remember one day I was just hanging out with 
What's your name, by the way? Nicole? Okay, Nicole. You were hanging out, not doing anything special, just a normal, ordinary time. So a kid was getting picked on, and you felt like God was saying, be nice to this person. How did you, how did you know that it wasn't just like a random thought in your head to be nice to somebody? Um, why was that God speaking to you, Nicole? You just could really tell it, like just in your spirit. And, and, and it wasn't something that you were thinking of beforehand. It was kind of, it just came to you. Okay? I can relate to that on many different levels. In fact, my whole life, in so many ways, has been built around when I'm actually asking God for things. And I'm speaking to God. Let me tell you, God will really speak to you. But some of you say, Joey, I would love to be able to raise my hand today and to give a testimony of that. And I'm going to tell you tonight, starting today you can have an entire different experience with God. But let me tell you where it begins. Listen to me very clearly. You've got to want to hear from God. The one thing that Alan can't do for you, that I can't do for you, is I can't make your heart want to receive from God. I can't make you want to know for sure that God is real. But for those of you that are on that borderline, on the fence saying, I don't know if God is real. I want to know God if he's real. I want to experience him. Some of you are convinced. Some of you are not so sure. But I got a question for you. Have you actually honestly asked God with your voice for him to speak by his voice to your heart? And do you actually give him the opportunity? Are you so preoccupied saying, if God's going to speak to me, he's going to have to interrupt me of my busy life? Or are you open to, to actually picking up the Bible and turning to it? And if you actually brought a Bible tonight, I would like you to do this with me for a moment. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? See, the more you get familiar with the Bible, the more you know where books of the Bible are, the more you start listening to the voice of the Spirit, because one of the greatest ways that God speaks to us is directly through the divine revelation of Scripture. Now, for those of you who have read the Bible all the way through, I'm going to ask you some questions. Whether you have read the whole Bible or not, maybe you can help answer some of these questions. My son, Josiah... He is a thinker. He's, one of my, he's so different from my other son, Jordan. Jordan is full of energy. He's kind of like me multiplied times 100. If you knew me when I was younger, I was very energetic, very enthusiastic, jumping off the walls. Jordan just makes me look absolutely quiet and reserved the way he's just so full of energy. That kid, you know, he, he comes, I come home and, and he wants to wrestle me and he just, I got to like slow him down. I'm like, Jordan, Jordan, calm down. And he'll just start like throwing punches and he'll start doing all this stuff and we're having fun and we're rolling around and we have a great time. Now, Josiah, on the other hand, he's my builder. He sits and he loves to think of creative things to do. And here's the problem when you're a parent. When you see a son that's a builder and you see a son like Jordan, who's sort of like, if you saw Wreck-It Ralph or something, that's kind of like my son, Jordan. So you put the two together and what you discover is Josiah makes this huge, cool Lego thing. And then Jordan comes along, who's five years old, and he wrecks it. And I've had to straighten out a bunch of fights in that, in that regard where Josiah is crying because this great invention, this great thing that he created has come tumbling down because my son Jordan was just full of energy and needed something to wreck or to do, you know? And, and, and so my son Jordan tonight is just, you know, he's, he's going to a club, of, you know, of 
we are bad people and we're not good, but it's not so bad to be, what, what is that little, I mean, anyway, I just saw that recently, so that was what was in my head, but um, Jordan is an example in a spiritual sense of when we as human beings behold something that God creates. We are the ones who often take something of great value from God. And in our own selfishness or sometimes in our own energies and busyness, we can sometimes damage what God has done. And my son Jordan, I believe God has an amazing calling on his life because his passion is just so wonderful to see, but it needs to be directed. Jordan, my son, is somebody who I've had to pray for a lot and really direct toward the Lord. And as a parent, as a father, as a pastor, I want the best for my children. And I, and I can only relate in a small sense to God, my Father in heaven, of how much he wants to do a work in all of our lives. But sometimes we have to ask the question, are we willing to just sit back and behold what God does, what God has created? Because throughout the history of time, God has been creating. God has been building things. And I'm a firm believer that right now, listen, every single one of you tonight in heaven, God has this amazing blueprint of a plan in your life. And he's not coming up with the plan before the foundation of the world. He actually prepared good works for you to walk in, as Ephesians 2.10 says. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way, Psalm 37, 23 says. And so throughout time, God is building his church and building lives, but he does it as he speaks to us one day at a time. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan and was told to turn the bread or the stones into bread, Jesus turned to Satan and said, man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Listen, everyone, look up here. All eyes for a second. This is extremely important. If you want to experience what God has for your life, if you want to walk in the will of God and know him in a personal and relational and authentic way, you have to be willing to start listening to the voice of God because God's building blocks are not Legos, they're not wood beams, they are the words of God from his mouth to your heart. And if your heart is not ready to receive, he can't build you, mold you, make you what he intends you to be. So the message tonight is about learning how powerful it is to hear from God. The message tonight is about how important it is for you to start Ordering your life in such a way where you prioritize time to hear the voice of God, where you start waking up every day and saying, I don't even want my day to start until I have received something of heaven in my heart. I don't even want to go out to school until I have first reestablished and renewed my mind to who I am in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is what Paul says in verse 18, a very important verse for tonight's message. Listen to this word. This is 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, for the message of the cross, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, to all of us in this room who believe in him, who have received him, it says this, who are being saved. For those of us who are being saved by his grace, it is the power of God. 
the word of God is the power of God for the people of God to become the very image of God. Did you catch that? The word of God is the power of God for the people of God to become the image of God. You cannot be like God if you don't hear from him. You cannot walk in goodwill, good works, and good purposes if you don't hear from God. You've got to be listening to the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You say, Joey, why are you in England today? I'll tell you this. It wasn't because I was playing the game of risk one day and I was conquering that part of the world and said, oh, maybe I should go live there one day. Or it wasn't because I was just looking at a globe one day and I spun it and said, I'm going to put my finger down and that's where I'm going to start a church. It was, I was praying. I was seeking God. And we started taking missions trips throughout Europe. And when I started speaking the word of God in England, something was happening in my heart and I began to hear from God a calling. Now you say, Joey, what is a calling? Let me tell you, a calling is God's divine orchestration to direct your life in the place and purpose that he wants you to go in. It was the word of God that brought me from California to New Jersey. And it was the word of God that brought me from New Jersey to England. And it's the word of God that's going to take you where you need to go. So how many of you would love to have God's best for your future? How many of you would honestly say, I would love to walk in the ways of God? Well, my question to you is, how in the world would you know? How would you know if you're hearing from God or not? If you don't spend time reading the Bible at all, you're going to be lost. You're going to be so confused that you're going to need God's divine intervention to show you the way. Now listen, when Paul says that the message of the cross is either foolishness or power, let me ask you this. What was the determining factor? Look at the verse again and you tell me the answer. The Bible says that the word of God is either foolishness or power. It's foolishness or power. What's the determining factor? It's obviously not God because God's word is always powerful. It's living and powerful. Why would it be foolishness? Why would it be power? What makes the difference? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Tell me what you think. Why is it foolishness for some people and power for others? What do you think? Yeah. Okay, great. What was your name again? Adrian. Adrian. Adrian said, which is a great point, he said, for people who don't believe, they, they lack faith in God, therefore the word of God is foolishness to them because anything that's supernatural or powerful or this or that is something that they say, I don't believe in any of that. You know what's funny about those people who, are, who, are, who find the word of God foolish? The word of God declares that they're fools. And the word of God declares that they're fools because they're basically living a life denying its origin. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm in Cambridge, England. For those of you who are scientific and those of you who are, you know, you've heard in school about things like we, we were sort of the, the byproduct of billions of years of time and chance and random processes of mutation in a process known as Darwinian evolution. Charles Darwin proposed his theory in Cambridge, England. Cambridge, England is the epicenter of all kinds of wisdom of the world and wisdom of man. But you know, 
I've had the opportunity to sit in rooms of some of the greatest professors from Oxford University, Cambridge University, and do you know what is said by these men? Let me give you an example. Harvard, let's take our country first, America. In Harvard University, one of the top biochemists at, bio, uh, biochemists at Harvard University, when asked the question, what is the origin of life? This is what he said. When dealing with the origin of life, he says, we have only two plausible explanations. He said that of biblical creation and that of spontaneous generation. He said, the former we refuse to accept for philosophical reasons. The latter, we know we, can't believe, we shouldn't believe in because it's been disproven in science. A hundred years ago, Pasteur tried to see if living matter could arise out of non-living matter, and it, and it can't happen, and we have a law in science called the law of biogenesis, okay? The law of biogenesis, it's a law of science, so it means that life can only come from life. But do you know what this Harvard professor biochemist says on that subject? Although we know it's disproven in science that life cannot come from non-living matter, we would rather accept that because we refuse to accept that of biblical creation. And so we choose to believe in the impossible, that it happened once, never to be repeated again. That's an example of what Adriana was saying, of why the word of God is foolishness to people who don't want to believe. Here's the real issue. It's not that the Bible is foolish. It's not that God doesn't make sense. It's that what Jesus said is true. People love the darkness more than the light. Richard Dawkins, some of you may have heard of him. He's in Oxford University. Richard Dawkins is known for being one of the great haters of Christianity. He's a great notorious atheist. And here's what Richard Dawkins said when he's asked the question about life. Well, we haven't figured that out yet, but we'll eventually get there. But in the meantime, maybe aliens came and gave life to us on planet Earth. Or maybe crystals somehow formed some kind of uh, chemical combustion that basically produced human beings and life and so forth. And people are willing to go there but they won't accept the fact that there's a God who's intelligent, who's living, who creates intelligent living life. People don't want to accept the fact there's a loving God who makes us loving beings. Science can't deal with love. Science can't deal with thought. They can't deal with the metaphysical world under a microscope because there's more to life than what can be examined in scientific methodology. And this is why I say all this to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, would you look at me in verse 20? Because here's the question Paul starts asking in his day. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You know, people have asked the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Now, for those who read the Bible, that's a simple one. The Bible clearly tells us he created chickens after their kind. He made them male and female, and they went on to reproduce. So the egg follows the chicken. That's a bit basic biblical one. Here's a better question. Which came first, the mind or matter? Because if matter produced the mind that I have today, and yet my mind can alter matter, can figure out the matter, and even tell people that nothing matters. Then my mind is superior to the matter, and yet the matter produced my mind. That's simply ridiculous and doesn't have any place in my mind. C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, once said, we can't believe in thought if we don't believe in God, 
because the very thought that either accepts him or rejects him is just an accidental chemical reaction in our brains in the first place. He says, therefore, if I cannot believe in thought, then I, then I must not even realize there's a God. In other words, he's basically saying, without thought, or without God, there can't be thought. You see, one has to precede the other. God is the mind that makes the matter. And listen, everybody look up here. Your life matters. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. All of you in this room, your life matters. And your life makes an impact. Your life makes a difference. Have you ever thought about the reason why God gave us choice? Because listen, from the very beginning, God made a choice. And his choice was to create. Now, do you know why God created? He didn't have to create. But think about this. When you have the kind of love inside of you that God does, when you have the kind of intelligence that's inside of you like God does, when you have the kind of holiness, justice, purity, righteousness that God does, it's no wonder why God wants to create. Because without creation, God has no object of love outside of himself. Even when people say, yeah, but the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they, there's a love within the unity of the Trinity. True, but that's all within the confines of God. But like any painter, a painter doesn't feel satisfied until he gets the thought in his head out on the canvas. A builder or a carpenter doesn't feel satisfied until the idea that he has in his mind comes up into reality. God made a choice to create because it gives us the opportunity to participate in the greatness of who he is and to enjoy him and to have a loving relationship with him. But listen, God didn't just make a choice to create. He made a second choice to give choice to that which he created. Did you follow that? God made a choice to create and then he made a choice to give choice to that which he created to give mankind a participatory role in his created world. Now, question. I got, a, I got a series of questions for you. After God started creating, in the very beginning, God was building a heavens and the earth by speaking. Then God, in, in the Garden of Eden, put man in that garden, and God told man to tend that garden. But things started to go bad because Satan came in and deceived Eve, and a choice was made for the first time, listen, that was in conflict with God. We call that sin. Sin is missing the mark. It's going against what God says. In a sense, sin robs humanity of the calling that God has placed upon it. It diminishes the value of what God intends for a life. And the sadness about it is we miss out on the enjoyment of knowing the God who made us. You know what, guys? Can I tell you something? I've been a Christian for 26 years. I've had the opportunity to speak all over the world. I've had a chance to go to Africa and visit some of the poorest places in Africa. I walked into a village that literally, I got there by a boat that the guy had to actually, it looked like a bathtub with an engine. The guy had to rig just to get me there. I'm going through these, this river on the Niger Delta meeting a, a brother in our church who started a hospital clinic in the Niger Delta in Nigeria, in the most remote villages of the world where malaria is at the epicenter and children have one, one pair of underwear, holy, dirty, and they actually drink out of the same water they go to the bathroom in. 
And I visited a village where a hospital clinic has been established and hundreds, even thousands of lives are being healed and set free. Why? Because God spoke to a man named David. Not the David in the Bible, but this David who's in our church and his wife to go to a country who needed great love and great attention. And because he's a doctor in England, he set up a hospital clinic in Nigeria and they're ministering to thousands of people. Why? Why are they doing that? Do they have to? Is it demanded of them, required of them? They could be doing a lot more with their life. When I went and visited them, I went into the village and I couldn't believe my eyes. Because you know what I saw? Hundreds of kids, bigger than this room, running over to me. And do you know what they were doing? They were lifting up my shirt, wanting to see my white skin, because they were all black kids. And they were blown up, you know, they, 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 they saw a new person, they were touching me, feeling me. I took out a football, an American football. And you would have thought that I just planted Disneyland right in the middle of this village. I took the football, got him in a big circle. A lot of them can't even speak English with me. And I started throwing the ball around. And you wouldn't believe, they all started jumping on each other and having the time of their life. And I'm thinking, these kids don't have phones, internet. They don't have any of the things you have in your room. When you complain that you don't have something, these kids have nada, nothing, zilch. And they're smiling, laughing, having a good time because I brought a ball. Now, if I said, guys, I've got great news for you tonight. I've got something over here. Guess what this is? I've got a ball. And I, I, I'm not going to expect all of you guys to like jump up and start running after me, chasing me. Because you'd go like, yeah, Joey, we've seen it. It's a ball. Yeah, it's great. But for those kids, that ball represented something from another country. It represented a gift to them. And they were so excited to play with it. Listen, everyone. When we began to see the impact that this hospital clinic had on these kids. When I've gone over at the other places, I was just recently in Israel, I had a chance to preach to the first conference in Israel of Ethiopian Jewish believers who are from all over the country of Israel. For the first time, they had a conference of getting the, about 10 of the biggest Ethiopian Jewish congregations together. And I had a chance to be a speaker in that, in that capacity. It was an amazing sight to see God bringing a sense of healing because the Ethiopians, you see, are kind of a rejected people in Israel because they're black and yet they're Jewish. They don't fit into the, newish, the, the, the regular Jewish system in Israel. Yet they love the Lord and they, they've had a lot of division because the children who are growing up in Israel speak Hebrew, but the other ones, you know, who come from the Ethiopian countries speak that language and basically there's this conflict there. Do you know what I found though? When you start speaking about the love of Jesus Christ through the word of God, the greatest way to unify people, to transform lives, whether it's in Africa, in Israel, whether it's in the Middle East or in Europe, in England where I am today, I see that this book has the power to change a life forever. And I was so blessed at just watching the way that when you just start preaching the word and not other ideas and opinions and the wisdom of the world, people start changing. Jesus said in John 17, 17, he is praying to the Father and he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In the days of Noah, God was building something. Do you know what God was building? An ark. In the days of Moses, God was building something. Do you know what God was building? A tabernacle. 
In the days of Solomon, God was building something. You know what he was building? A temple. In the days of Jesus Christ, God started building something that's still being built today. And it's called the church. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I got a question for you tonight. Do you want to be involved in God's greatest building project ever? Do you want to be involved in what God is doing on the earth today? Do you know, I'm always amazed at how quickly products are changing, like the new Apple products and all of these things and the way people run to the store to get that latest, greatest technological device. And it may have one new feature than the last one. Some people traded their phones to get white instead of black. Some people say, I want that one and not this one, when the other one works totally fine. And yet people are so interested in what man is building, what man is inventing. Guys, listen, all that stuff's going to burn. Everything that is technological, everything that is built by man is going to pass away. There was a man in England known as C.T. Studd. Anybody heard of him? Raise your hand if you heard of the man C.T. Studd. He's a true stud. Nobody's even heard of him. Let me tell you about this guy. C.T. Studd plays a sport in England, played a sport in England that they call cricket, okay? I still don't understand it. It's not American baseball. It's a totally different sport. But listen, C.T. Studd was the, one of the greatest cricketeers, if you will, of his day. But he heard a shoe salesman start preaching the Bible in Cambridge, England, where I am today. And in 1882... On November 12th, a man by the name of D.L. Moody, you may have heard of him, a shoe salesman from Chicago, started preaching the message of the Bible. And C.T. Studd, who was known for his famous cricket playing and athlete, was willing to drop everything, to give up his fame, to give up his fortune, his career. And he became a missionary to China to continue the work of Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission. Because the word of God that was spoken by D. L. Moody pierced his heart and showed him that God had a greater plan for his life and he wanted to be a part of what God was building. I want you to know something. There is a, somebody who's seeking to wreck your life right now who, who hates you with a passion. The Bible tells us he roams this earth like a lion seeking who may devour. And listen, everybody look up here for a second. Right now, this person was a created angel who had everything given to him and it all came tumbling down because he wanted to be worshipped instead of God. He wanted the glory instead of God. We, call, we called him Lucifer and now we call him Satan. He's the devil, he's the liar, he's the father of lies, he's the serpent of old. And this, this being, this created being by God who in his own choice rebelled against God is deceiving this world in a spiritual way. And listen, Right now, Satan is wanting you to tune out. He's wanting you to give up. He's wanting you to, to, to listen to the world that says you need to make money, you need to do this, you need to do that. And the last thing he wants you to hear is something like this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Going back to that story of C.T. Studd, listen to this. C.T. Studd, when he became a missionary, he didn't want anything to have a hold on his life. And he didn't want anybody 
to be able to take credit for what God did in his life. He was given this huge sum of money after he got married, he and his wife. And you know what they did with the money? They donated it. A third to D.L. Moody for the ministry that impacted his life. Another third to another ministry and the other to the, a ministry in China that he was going to. And C.T. Studd basically started off with nothing, although he came from a rich family and had all this fame. And you know what he said? He said the famous quote, you only have one life and soon it will be passed. And only what you do for Christ Jesus will last. That was spoken by C.T. Studd. Listen to that. You only have one life. It'll soon be passed. Only what you do for Christ Jesus will last. When Jesus Christ was on this earth, do you know what he did? He served. Every day he went out and served people. But when he served, people rejected him. People walked away from him. But it didn't stop Jesus from loving and from serving. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the first words of Jesus on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I'm wondering right now, listen, is it possible that you just need to make a small adjustment in your life and you might, you might find yourself in a whole new place if you just started saying, God, I need you. I need to hear from you. Jesus is already praying for you. Jesus already died for you. Jesus rose again for you. Jesus Christ has an amazing plan to build you up. And we need to know how to build with the Lord and how to let him have his way in our life. You know, the biggest thing that you might be hearing right now from the enemy is, listen, but Joey, I'm not interested in fully giving God my life right now because there are things that are more important to me, like my friends, like my reputation, like this boyfriend or this girlfriend that I have or want to have. Can I ask you a question? If everything that you want in your life was given to you today, do you think you're mature enough to handle it? Like, for example, some of you have prayed for God to do something, and he hasn't done it yet, so you're bitter or you're frustrated. But can I ask you a question? If God gave you right now what you think you need, how do you know it's the best thing for you, number one? And number two, how do you know if you'd be able to handle it? Because for me, I look back on my life, and I'm so thankful for all the times God said no to me. I'm so thankful for all the times when I didn't follow my plan, but I followed God's plan. The Bible says in Proverbs 69, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. I am so thankful for the way that God directs my steps and the way he steps in and alters my plans. There are so many things that have happened to me in my life that I don't understand why they happened and I can't tell you all the aspects of what was happening in my heart at the time, but I can tell you in hindsight now, God has worked them all together for good. God is a faithful God. Listen to me. Everyone look up here for a second. God is a God, excuse me. God is a God that when he speaks, one word can change everything. One word 
from God can set your heart at ease. I'm going to ask a question, and I don't want you to raise your hand. This is just a personal moment for a minute. There is some people in this room who struggle deeply with depression, and I'm going to tell you why. Some of you in this room have thought about suicide, potentially. Some of you in this room have thought about just completely isolating yourself. There are people in this room who may have had an experience of cutting. I was a youth pastor for many years, and I can tell you I've sat down with many kids over many different problems over the years. But I can tell you that every single kid, every single adult that struggles with depression has a deeper problem. I want you to listen. Everybody listen to me for a moment. God did not create you to be miserable. He did not create you to be second class. He did not create you to be an accident. And you're made the way God wanted you to be made. You are put in the family God wanted you to be put in. Those things that you struggle with and those things that you are frustrated by are the context by which God wants to do something beautiful out of. Our God makes beauty from ashes. He gives the oil of joy for mourning and the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But what you have to realize is, is that God has chosen the circumstances and ordained the context of your life right now. Listen, the very situation that you're in right now that you think is causing your depression is actually the means to your greatest victory. Listen to me right now. Hear me out. Because I know the Holy Spirit's going to speak to some of you here. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, the Bible says, Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. But a good word makes the heart glad. What is anxiety? Anxiety is the pressure we feel deep within our being when we don't know what's happening and we don't know why, and we feel like we have to make it change right away, or we're miserable because it's not changing. Anxiety is the result of not trusting God's purpose in your present circumstance. The Bible says to be anxious for... Say it a little bit louder. The Bible says be anxious for... Nothing. nothing. But that's not the case for most of us, is it? You're stressing about school, tests, homework this situation at home, your future, college. Why are you stressing about it? It's because you don't know. And you're afraid of what might happen. And you're bothered by the lack of something in your life. But listen, everybody listen to me. Listen to this. What you are lacking in right now and what you don't have right this very instant is not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God doesn't care about you. It's because God can only take you where you need to go and only get out of you if you receive what he has in the context that you're in now. And instead of being anxious about what you don't have or anxious about what you might have or anxious about what you don't know, the Bible says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Let your request be made known to God. And it says, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, everyone, look up here. This is so important. Your mind and your heart right now, which is full of anxiety, which leads to depression, can be changed in an instant if you grab a hold by faith tonight that God knows exactly what he's doing with you. That the family you grew up in, listen, I grew up in a home where I heard all kinds of yelling and arguing all the time. My home life was very dysfunctional. I grew up in a home where I didn't know on one given day whether there was going to be an explosive outburst of anger. I didn't know if my mom and dad were going to be in one of those fights again. And, and my, my home life was very unstable a lot. But God gave me stability. God gave me a refuge. God gave me a purpose. God gave me peace. And I began to realize, listen, the training for ministry for me was not seminary, Bible college, this, that. It was me learning to embrace. You listen? It was me learning to embrace the divine ordered circumstances of my life, my failures, my disappointments, my lack of this or my lack of that, and accepting them saying, God, you're in the mess. You're in the midst. You're on the ship. Remember when the disciples were, were busy trying to get water off the ship? They were anxious. They were depressed. They were going to be killed. What did they do? You know what they did? They worked as hard as they could to solve their own problem. They leaned on their own understanding. They were miserable. And Jesus was sleeping on the back of the boat. He was at rest. And when they woke him up, remember what Jesus did? He spoke to the waves. It was the word of God that took the created waves of God and calmed them in an instant. You remember what he said? He simply looked at the waves and he said, peace, be still. Now, brothers and sisters, listen. You guys don't know me that well. I don't know you that well. But we all are looking to a God who knows us perfectly well. And the God who knows us perfectly well is looking at all of your hearts tonight and he's saying one thing. My dear, beloved child, I created you. I formed you. I know what you're going through. I know what nobody else in this room knows about you. I know what you think at night. I know what you go through at school. I know what you're experiencing in all of your circumstances. I understand the pain you have. But the Lord wants to speak to your heart tonight these words. Peace be still. And he wants you to say, trust me on this. Start asking me how to direct you through this situation. And your situation that you think stinks, your situation that you think is rotten and unfair, is actually God's divine recipe to create something so amazing. You know, I love baked goods. My wife is a good baker. But if you looked at the ingredients that she starts with, you know, sometimes it's good to have the raw dough and I, you know, I like the things that are raw, but it doesn't nearly taste as good when all those ingredients are put together and it's put in the oven and it's heated up and then the aftermath is beautiful. But there's a process that it goes through. And in all of the building projects of God, there's always a phase where it looks impossible, where it seems so hard. Listen, God doesn't give up on any of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's the author and he's the finisher of your faith. Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he bled for you. Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, he prayed for you. Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, was thinking of you. What's your name? Rory. What is it? Rory. Rory. Sorry for the squeak and the noise there. Rory. He was thinking of you. What's your name? Nick. Jesus Christ, the one in the Bible, had you on his mind when he was hanging there. What's your name? Nick. Nick number two. He knew the difference between the two Nicks. He knew the Nick. He knew the Knack. He knew it all. Jesus Christ was in your mind before you had a mind. He was thinking of your heart before you had a heart. Jesus Christ loved you before the foundation of the world. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen, in Psalm 33, verse 9, it says, the Lord spoke and it was finished. He commanded and it stood still. And I just want you to know today, the anxieties that are in your lives are not going to change because of your circumstances. Some of you are saying, if God changes my circumstances, I won't be anxious. God is saying, I want to change you before I change the circumstances because I want to get out of you something that can only happen in this context. Let me tell you, some of the worst things that have happened to me in my life have produced some of the greatest aspects of how to minister to people. When you suffer, the Bible says God will comfort you so you can comfort others. When you hit a point where you don't know, it's to stand in the place of saying, God, you know, and I'm going to start trusting you with my life. When you don't know what to do, God already knows the next step and the next step and the next step, and he's just asking you to take one step at a time. Some of you feel like you hit a wall in your life, and you feel like, I don't know how to go any further. Some of you were growing in Christ, you were on fire for the Lord, and you don't know how to get going in again. Listen, you haven't hit a wall. You're just so small that you don't know it all, and what you don't realize is, is that the wall you hit is actually a step, and if you look up, God's taking you to a higher place, and you're going to go to another level. You thought it was a wall, but it was just a step. It was just a step for you to go higher and deeper with God. And brothers and sisters, it all comes down to believing in the message that is power. That's why we started there tonight. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Because they are, they're full of anxiety. They're full of depression. And all they have left is their pleasure. Some of you say, Joey, I don't care about God because I want pleasure now. You're a fool. You're a fool if you want it all now rather than the outcome of a man or a woman who learns to trust the Lord. I like what Jim Elliott said, the missionary. He said, he is no fool who can give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did you hear that? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And in Philippians 1.21, the Bible says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So brothers and sisters, where do you go from here? The first place is realizing it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you say, Joey, does God care? Jesus Christ and him crucified. You say, Joey, but what about my family situation? God doesn't understand the suffering I'm going through. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified that you need to get first. God knows suffering. God knows pain. 
You say, Joey, I've been rejected. People have betrayed me. Jesus knows betrayal. But Joey, Jesus, he can't take care of my situation because he's too busy. No, God is a personal God and he's your ever-present help in time of need. If God is for you, say it again. If God is for you, who can be against you? And if you're not sure if God's for you, you look at that cross and you look at a man who says, I am willing to breathe my last breath for you. When I got married on March 4th to my beautiful wife, Tiffany, I realized that when Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, that was a proposal of his love for us so that we can enter into a marriage with him. And on the day of my proposal on March, I'm sorry, on the day of my wedding on March 4th, 2000, I put on my wedding program uh, uh, in the bulletin a, a poem that I wrote. And I knew everybody would read it because it was called The Proposal. And everybody thought it was going to be my proposal to my wife, Tiffany, but it was actually Jesus' proposal to us. Let me just share that with you for a moment. It goes like this. And this is the words of Jesus to you. So listen to this. Everybody listen to these words. There's Jesus. He's hanging up on a cross. He is fully exposed. He's naked. He's bleeding. He's up there with sweat coming down his face, stinging into his blood. His back is beat up. He has completely got stripes on him. The Bible says he was bruised for our, he was bruised for, uh, by his stripes we are healed. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And while in that context, this is the poem the Lord gave me. Listen to this. I loved you at first thought. So I created you and made an entire world for you to enjoy. For in this story, you were the plot. We had a love that only pure evil could destroy. But then something terrible happened, you see. You decided to have an affair with the world. I was devastated because I knew that you would never find your way back to me. So I went after you. I waited for the perfect time. I went to a hill called Calvary and I publicly proposed my love so true. I didn't get on bended knee as some have been known to do. I didn't have a bouquet of roses but wore a crown of thorns that pierced straight through. I hung on a cross and I stretched my arms out like a tree and I died for you asking, now will you marry me? That is the proposal from heaven to you. Jesus Christ spoke on that cross. It is finished. It is finished. Whatever you feel like hasn't happened in your life, what's missing in your life, what you're anxious about, you need to realize Jesus finished the work of salvation for you. He loves you. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And brothers and sisters, I just want to say in closing tonight, God is on your side. And he speaks, peace be still, to every heart that's listening to his voice tonight. And I'm confident tonight that God 
is speaking to some of you tonight that he wants to take you to a whole new place. You think you hit a wall, you've hit a step, and God's taken you deeper and higher. You think you've been depressed and oppressed, but you don't even know that the mess that you're in is something that God is actually working together for good to give you an eternal weight of glory in heaven that you have no idea of. And lastly, you need to know this. If you start asking God to speak to you and to direct you and to guide you and to show you the way, who knows the impact that you can have on this world? Wouldn't it be awesome to know that when your days are done and you've had all your fun, that you lived each day for the true only son of glory who's written you into his story, the very God who before the foundation of the earth saw your life and said, I want you to be my wife. I want you to be my bride. I want you to learn to abide. I don't want you to backslide. I don't want you to go and deride. I don't want you to go down and do all these things that, that we think we need when actually the one thing you need the most is Jesus as the Lord of your life, telling you one day at a time what to do and how to do it. I want to pray for you. But as I pray right now, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to personalize for you right now a vision, not of the way future, not even of your dying day, but of this day. What if on this day you said to God, God, I want to start hearing your voice and following your commands. Because the person who lives one day at a time by the grace of God, in the will of God, according to the word of God, will experience a plan that is so good, so amazing. He will never, ever let go of you. He died for you to show you the extent of his love. And maybe God's calling some of you to another country. Or he's calling you to go to Bible college, as Alan was sharing earlier. You don't know if you're going to be like the girl who died on the road, as we heard that, I think it was Adriana, you sharing about, was it your friend? It was, okay, so the friend that died recently, right? How old was she? She's 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, I lost one of my best friends. And at her memorial service, I stood before almost my entire graduating high school class. And you know what I did? I spoke the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was on that day when I gave up my baseball career. I wanted to play Major League Baseball. And God showed me, Joey, you can hit home runs. Or I didn't really hit home runs. I was more of a leadoff hitter. You can steal bases. You can hit balls. You can do that. But you know what? What will that amount to when your days are done? That's all about your glory. God showed me that he had a better plan, a better future, a better hope for my life. And it was preaching the message of hope to a generation of people who would need it the most. And God sent me to Cambridge, England for this time of my life. I don't know if I'll be there forever, if God's got a new plan in the future, but I'm not worried about that because I live one day at a time in the grace of God to speak his word to whoever God puts before me. And I believe God wants to use your life to do the same. But you've got to start listening. What is he saying to you? Open up the Bible. Pray and seek his face and ask God to start directing your life. Let's bow our hearts right now. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now.